You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, podcast listeners. This is Randy Bolander on the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. So glad that you are with us. Hope you're enjoying that third cup of coffee like I am. I'm having to drink the generic stuff today uh, because I drank all the good stuff that was sent to me last week. And then, then my college roommate, Craig Scrady, who I have not spoken with in 25 years. I'm not sure if he's incarcerated or where he was, but suddenly he popped back up on Marco Polo. He sent me a message. He said, hey, I see your podcast, third cup of coffee. I'm going to send you some more coffee. I'm like, bring it on, bring it on. We will accept that coffee as a drink offering. And we will be glad to get it. I think uh, calling the podcast the third cup of coffee, if it means I get coffee sent to me every couple of weeks, that's a win. I do wish I would have called it the second car in the garage because that could be helpful right now as well. But coffee works. We'll take coffee. It is a big week in Bolenderville, ending big and started big. It uh, is ending this week with Kelsey's birthday. My beloved wife is celebrating her 50th birthday. I think I can say that because I don't think she listens to the podcast. Uh, if you listened to me the other six days of the week, do you think you would listen to my podcast? Probably, probably not. But happy birthday to Kelsey. If you know her, give her a shout out. But it also started as a big week because on Sunday we celebrated with a bunch of friends at an event we called Worship in the Woods. Now, this group came out of a season of fasting and prayer. Uh, about a month before Easter, we called some friends and said, hey, would you fast with us, pray with us about direction for our family, where it's going? They said yes. That led to some prayer meetings. It led to some teaching meetings. And two weeks into it, um, pandemic. And so we had to stop meeting and we started uh, just meeting on Zoom. And so we've been meeting in Zoom, praying together on Friday nights, uh, doing some teaching uh, on Wednesdays and teaching on Sundays. And it's just been good and it's been fun. But then this door opened for us to meet in kind of a safe environment right now during the pandemic. It was outdoors. It was spread out. And, you know, I've learned if you want to enjoy events, kind of delete all expectation. Just go and enjoy whatever happens. But never in my wildest dreams would I have thought it was as fun or um, as great as it was or as many folks showed up. We just had a good number of people uh, that showed up, uh, particularly a good number of people, because I never posted the exact time or the location on social media. I posted a few pictures, but I never really actually said where the thing was. And so people showed up that I'm not quite sure how they found their way to us, but it was good to have them. It was a lot of fun. We are looking forward to what God is doing with this, this little group. And I say this in faith because I feel it from the Lord, but I also say it because I can see it in real time. A church is germinating from this little seed now, you know how it is when, when a plant is germinating, it's underground. It looks like nothing's happening, but that's not true. Roots are going down deep, and that's what this feels like. Now, there is no one in the church planting world that would tell you to launch any kind of initiative in the current culture or the current um, state of alarm around COVID-19. It's just this is not how it's done. But it seems to be how the Lord's putting it together. And so we're just happy to be continually germinating with one another until the time comes when the whole thing springs above the ground. It's an unusual way of doing things, but, you know, normal has kind of outlasted its usefulness. 
And so as a result, things happen in ways they've never, ever happened before. And I really think the future is built on little groups like this that focus on prayer and that are steeped in worship and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit to navigate waters that we didn't know existed before. This is probably going to be a fellowship for pioneers. It's not going to be for everybody. But for those who feel called to it, I think it's going to be amazing. If you are kind of interested in this strikes you as uh, something maybe that might fit you, you're in the Kansas City area, go to zoefoundationkc.com. You can kind of uh, give us your email and we can send you updates on what we're up to. We don't say a whole lot publicly. Again, the whole thing is just kind of a little bit underground, but the Lord is stirring it. And so we're looking forward to whatever is on the future. We're, we're back to Zoom this weekend. We will not be meeting publicly for a little while again, but we are enjoying our time together. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to reflect a little bit back on that meeting because it was Pentecost Sunday. And uh, that was very important for us to gather on Pentecost, to gather at the time when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church. I want to read real quickly from Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and there suddenly came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided as tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language." And as I read that passage on Sunday, it just reminded me of the contradiction of the day. Here we are. We're gathered. We're under the trees. We've been sequestered for weeks. It's good to see one another. For some people, it was the first social gathering they've attended in months. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. The people were singing. Everyone was singing. It would be hard to orchestrate a more idyllic setting or situation. This is like some Disney-level woodland creatures, public singing stuff. The only thing that would have made it better is if Snow White had stepped out of the woods and gave her little heart to Jesus. Like, that's the one thing that didn't happen. It was pretty amazing. Yet there was a dissonance to our reality, because in our country, we have seen an outbreak of lawlessness that spans the gap of culture and race. Now, I'm going to say things in the next couple of minutes. I'm going to ask you to be patient with me. I'm going to tell you the very upfront, I'm probably going to get some of this wrong, okay? I'm probably going to say it in a way that you feel it should have been said differently, and I get it. I've been hesitant to even talk about these things anywhere because um, right now, particularly social media, is completely populated by 20-year-olds who've never thought about racism until this week, and now they're lecturing everybody about it. So it's a little bit of a minefield, but, you know, it's the big leagues. I will uh, get out my minesweeper, and I will give it a shot. In our country, we have seen this outbreak of lawlessness that spans the gap of culture and race. Most of us watched the video of a police officer taking the life of a black man as he gasped, I can't breathe. If you were human and you watched that, it was hard not to grow sick to your stomach. It was hard to resist the tears. Or maybe you just embraced the tears and maybe that was a better idea. 
We watched that and we thought we cannot believe the level of lawlessness that we're watching here. Within days, we were watching mobs masquerading as protesters burn their own cities and loot their own neighborhoods. I sat last night and watched a live stream of a crowd of about 100 people break into a Patagonia store and just destroy the place. And I'm watching them do that. And now let me back up for a second. I don't for a second pretend to understand the pain of the black community. I have an African-American daughter, but that doesn't mean that I've got great insight into what it has been like for anyone. But I do know this. At that point, those guys were just stealing duffel bags. Okay, that wasn't a protest. That was an opportunity to exhibit lawlessness. Now, they're not taking a man's life. I'll give you that. But it's really the flip side of the same coin. I can do something with impunity. We are living in the crossfire of a war in which both extreme sides justify their lawlessness for their own ends and explain it away as something that we couldn't understand because we weren't there. I can hear police officers saying, you, you don't understand what was going on there, and justify what was clearly, clearly in the wrong. Just as I hear others say, well, you know, you don't understand their way of life, and you don't understand the pressure they're under, and if you did, you would understand why they're breaking into the Patagonia store. And if that were not complex enough, add into the mix the majority of people who are in the middle, somewhere between those two extremes. I'm thinking of African Americans who live in the ever-present shadow of 400 years of legalized slave trade that our nation has never and will never be able to make amends for, and for which we all suffer loss, although, of course, they suffer a much greater loss than we do. Blacks struggle with a lack of opportunity and with systemic oppression that the poorest of whites never wrestle with. My friend Chris Beard is a pastor in Cincinnati who's worked in racial justice efforts for 25 or 30 years, posted a video a couple of days ago explaining how in front of the courthouse in Cincinnati downtown, a city that is 45% African American prosecutes, convicts, and imprisons blacks over whites at a ratio of 8 to 1 for the exact same crimes. So when the system oppresses people, arrests them, and prosecutes them and imprisons them at a ratio of 8 to 1 over the other group of the same size, when the system oppresses people, don't be surprised when the response is outside the bounds of the system. Isaiah 5-7 says, And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. When there's bloodshed in the streets, there's going to be an outcry from people. I'm not surprised that our cities are encountering protests and riots. At some level, I'm much more surprised that it hasn't happened more often. Now, also, in the middle... There are many whites who would never condone police brutality. We watched that video and we cried. We wince at that 8 to 1 ratio. But we don't have a clue what to do about it. And in fear of saying the wrong thing, we say nothing. Many of you have found yourselves there. And in saying nothing, we passively empower the radicals on both sides of the spectrum. 
Now here's our dichotomy. Sunday morning, we're sitting in the woods. Woodland creatures are playing. We're singing. The sun is shining. And we are simultaneously in a season of great pressure. Our nation is being pulled apart. Our politicians are posturing rather than leading. And we're still hosting a pandemic. We haven't called that off yet either. So in that setting, how do we sing and how do we honor the Lord? Are we crazy people or are we people of faith? We could either have gathered together to get it off our minds, or we could do what I felt we were supposed to do, which is to gather together to get God's mind for it. But what we can't do is pretend that the spirit of lawlessness is not increasing across the board in our world. More than any time in our lifetime, we need another Pentecost experience. Now, Sunday I gave a couple of reasons. I'm really just going to center on one very quickly. And it's because the church is the vehicle that God has chosen for the good news to spread across the world, and the church encompasses all people. Now, hear me out. We think of Pentecost primarily from the perspective of the church. When we picture it, we picture it from inside the meeting, from the perspective of believers. There's a lot goes on in those verses. There's the sound of wind. Now, they're inside a building, okay? Now, it was great on Sunday morning. We prayed through this passage, and when they got to the point about praying about the sound of wind, a huge gust of wind blew through. It was top-level production that we had absolutely nothing to do with, but we were outside. In this case, they're inside a building, and there's a sound like wind. And then tongues of fire appeared. I have so many questions about this. Did they all come down at the same time on everyone? Did they come down one at a time? If so, if you're in the line and you're at the other end of the line, do you run or do you wait? I mean, just I wonder how this happened. We don't really know. But if the wind and the fire was not memorable enough, they begin to speak in tongues that they did not know. And when we think of Pentecost, that's the picture we have. Wind, fire, tongues. But there were other people present, people from different cultures and backgrounds and faiths. And it's interesting that those who were not inside the meeting, those who were just outside the meeting but heard the commotion, they don't mention the wind. They don't notice that the curtains are blowing out of the building. They don't mention the fire. All of the things we've come to associate with this baptism of the Spirit, they notice one thing. The book of Acts says, And at this sound the multitudes came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They didn't notice they were on fire. They didn't notice the curtains were blowing out of the building. They noticed they're speaking our language. The church in America, the white church and the black church, has a history of speaking to ourselves. We speak to ourselves. Some of you remember the days of Christian bookstores. I don't really know if they exist anymore. I'm sure they do somewhere. Mostly they were full of theological books that reflected the view of the owner. They had Bibles, and uh, they had some kids' curriculum, and every little doodad that you could imagine with a Bible verse embossed on it. You could buy a pocket knife that said John 3.16 on the handle. You could buy flashlights that said, I am the light of the world. Uh, I remember one time as a kid in a Christian bookstore seeing a bright yellow painted wooden 
ruler that you'd use in grade school. And on the side of it, it said, Jesus rules. And even as a nine-year-old kid, I remember thinking, I don't think that's what that means. All of these things were Jesus junk. It was the church marketing to itself. And if you didn't understand what Jesus rules meant, a Christian bookstore or a church could be a confusing place. It was all inside the language. We were talking to ourselves. The Holy Spirit wants to empower the church to understand and to speak the language of other people who historically have felt on the outside. Pentecost is for them. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon the church to empower us to speak the language of those around us, not just those among us. That takes a visitation from God. To reach across cultures and experiences and say, this is the God of heaven who fights for you, and this is his son who died for you, takes more power than you or I hold in ourselves. As a 52-year-old white man, who has never lived in fear of the police in my life. What do I even say to the oppressed black brother whose heart beats the same way mine does, but his beats twice as normal when he sees a police officer, even if he's just on his way home from work? I can't understand that kind of fear, and I certainly can't address it. I need the Holy Spirit so we can speak a common language and address his experience and hear his heart. In our nation, the message of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit, has reached across racial lines with power and at times when nothing else in Christendom was even trying. And when it did, it wasn't some orchestrated unity demonstration, but it was a power movement that made our disagreement secondary to what God is doing, even as it used people of all races who struggled with their own dark hearts. One of my favorite, maybe even my favorite, story of American church history involves a man named William Seymour. Seymour was an African-American man who waited tables and dropped out of Bible college because he was having a hard time following along. It's difficult to study when they force you to sit in the hallway because of the color of your skin. And it's hard to embrace the Bible when your teacher is a racist but William Seymour did that back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He dropped out of Bible college and he moved to Los Angeles to pastor a house church where the Holy Spirit began to move and fill people, resulting in unusual demonstrations. The crowd really grew quickly in this little house church. It grew so quickly that one night there were so many people standing on the porch that the porch on front in the front of the house fell completely off. And they needed to move to a larger location, so they rented out what was ultimately a livery stable, and they had to muck out the stalls before they set up seats so they could sit and hear the word preached and begin to pray and worship. But for three years, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the most diverse crowd that the church in North America has ever seen. Now, if something happens multiculturally now, it's celebrated at some level. The Azusa Street Revival was never celebrated. The local newspaper came to write an article about it. And rather than focusing on the idea of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, it talked about what it called, and I'm a direct quote, the disgraceful intermingling 
of the races. Even Seymour's Bible college professor, who he had invited to the meeting to honor, spoke openly of his disdain of this multiracial expression of the revival. Seymour honored him anyway. He was absolutely a man without guile. This so-called disgraceful intermingling of the races where the Holy Spirit was poured out was sending missionaries around the world. In one month alone, 30 couples left for full-time missions around the world. When the Holy Spirit poured out in power across racial lines, the Great Commission was embraced with a new energy that they had never known before. Sometimes I wonder, do we have the authority to send missionaries to China when we don't have the power to reach across cultural lines in our own city, or we don't have the desire to? We desperately need a new Pentecost to give us language to speak to people that are different from us, or we are just offering them repackaged Jesus junk that has no relevance to their life. When the Holy Spirit falls, Pentecost brings a promise that that can happen, and we can understand one another. Why do we need Pentecost? Because the church, the black church and the white church, is the vehicle that God has chosen for the good news to spread across the world. It encompasses all people. And when he comes and rests on us, we have new understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit of one another's language. The next couple of nights, I've been watching the news, and I have just been in such pain. Because in the midst of the riots and the hooligans, there is real pain and there is legitimate angst and there is systemic injustice that has taken centuries to develop to the point where it is so sophisticated that even the people who are propagating it don't see it. It's become that second nature. It's not even second nature. It's first nature to us. I am praying the Holy Spirit will rest on this nation in a way that we will see and understand one another in a completely different way. If you want to hear more about what's going on with this little band of hooligans that we're putting together, go to zoefoundationkc.com. Not a whole lot of detail up there, but give us your email. We will send you what's coming up next. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week.